he went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir. They said, Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone of the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. Thanks, Ricky, and uh, good morning, everyone, and thanks to our music team as well for leading us so wonderfully in worship, uh, lifting our hearts to God in song. Uh, What a privilege. Uh, Well, how about I pray before we get into God's word this morning? Heavenly Father, we, uh, we do thank you for your word, the Bible, that you speak to us through it, uh, and Lord, that it cuts us to the heart. Uh, it shows us who we are and what we're like, uh, shows us who you are and what you're like, uh, shows us both your goodness and also your severity. Lord, please uh, help us this morning by your spirit as we wrestle with those issues. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I imagine that in this room this morning, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I imagine we've got a few landlords. You're someone who owns a house or a unit or something, and uh, you've rented it out for other people to live in. That can be a wonderful thing to do, uh, but there's, there's a certain amount of risk that comes with doing that, am I right? And, and one of those risks is that you're never 100% sure of what kind of tenants you're going to get. You might get tenants who, who do the right thing, who look after your house and pay the rent, or you could get terrible tenants. You could get tenants who trash the place and who don't pay their rent. Uh, maybe you're a landlord and you've had that sort of thing happen before. And I imagine it's not a nice position to be in because what do you do? You, you want to be good to your tenants, but at the same time you've got a right to to evict them. On the other hand, no doubt some of you here this morning are tenants. And one of the things about being a tenant is that no matter how long you live in a place, as Steve was alluding to earlier, you you, you always have the feeling that that place is not yours. You don't own it. You can't do what you like with it. Ultimately, 
someone else owns that house and they, they're in charge. They kind of make the rules. And certainly as a tenant, you don't expect to, to live in somebody else's house for free. You, you know that you've got to pay to live there. If you deliberately don't pay the rent, that would make you a bad tenant. Well, the parable that we just read is a cautionary tale about what happens to bad tenants. But more than that, it's actually it's quite a disturbing insight into the human heart. We'll take the parable in three parts. First, we'll, we'll look at the bad tenants. Second, we'll see the, the servants that they mistreated. And finally, we'll see the son that they rejected and killed. So Jesus starts off the parable by talking about God in terms of him being a landlord, a vineyard owner who planted a vineyard and rented it out to some tenants. What was their responsibility? Well, theirs was the responsibility of any tenants to to look after the place, to look after the vineyard and and pay the rent. But when it came time for them to, to hand over the rent, some of the fruit of the vineyard, they wouldn't do it. They refused. And we know instinctively that that's not right. So what's going on? Well, it's clear from the language Jesus uses, talking about a man planting a vineyard, that he's talking about Old Testament Israel. That's the vineyard. The Old Testament talks about Israel as a vineyard in in quite a few places, uh, most notably in Isaiah chapter 5. There we read like a nearly identical uh, template of this parable about a man who plants a vineyard. And Isaiah chapter 5 verse 7 says, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. God had chosen Israel to be his own people. He'd rescued them out of Egypt, given them a land to live in, made a covenant with them given them good rules to live by where they could relate to him and relate to each other. He'd put all the pieces in place and Jesus tells us that that's a little bit like him planting a vineyard, putting time and care and attention into it. And he'd put tenants in charge of that vineyard. Who were they? Well, Jesus has in mind the rulers and the religious leaders of Israel. And their responsibility, again, is is to look after the vineyard and pay the rent. And that rent was obedience to God, trust in him, thankfulness to him, loyalty to him. It's what they owed him for everything that he'd done for them. But the history of Israel that we read in the Old Testament is a little bit like, you know those current affair episodes of the tenants from hell, people who trash the place and uh, don't pay the rent? That's a little bit like the Old Testament nation of Israel. Time and time again, they turned their back on God. They went after idols. They didn't obey God's laws. They became evil and corrupt. They did some truly heinous things. They became just like all the other nations around them. And over time, they became self-righteous and proud. Isaiah 5 tells us that the vineyard only ever grew bad grapes. Now, it would be easy for us to 
simply read this parable as just an indictment against Israel and their leaders and move on. And it's clear that Jesus did speak this parable against them. They're the the primary people that he has in mind. But it's not a stretch to say that there's a broader application here. There's a very real sense in which you and me, all of us, all of humanity, we're tenants living in God's house. God made this world as a home for us to live in. And he didn't just make the world, but he sustains the world. He keeps things going. He's a bit like a landlord who doesn't just give you a a stunning home to live in, but he pays the electricity and the water as well. The sun rises and the rain falls. The plants grow. The flowers bloom. The crops give their fruit and their food. And it's God who's making all of that happen, looking after his tenants. Every beat of your heart, every breath you take, any skills or abilities or intelligence that you have, gracious gifts from a gracious God, And you don't own those things. God does. You're a tenant. What should our response be? What sort of rent do we owe? The answer is everything. We owe God everything. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind. We don't get to use our skills, our intelligence, our life any old way we want because we don't own those things. This is a pretty countercultural thing to say in a world that screams at us uh, that song. I was going to, I won't sing it. Do what you want to do, be who you want to be. Yeah, you know, I don't know if you know that song, but like there's a thousand other songs and movies just like it that scream at us the same message. It's the air we breathe. But the message that Jesus gives us in this parable is you're a tenant. But as a human race, you'd have to say we're terrible tenants. We're tenants who act like owners. We don't pay the rent. We don't love God. We ignore God. We rebel against him. We don't live how he wants us to live. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. And the results are there to see. You only have to turn on the news every night to see what happens in a world where the tenants are just running amok. Hostility and division and hatred between people, wars and coups and corrupt governments, greed, gossip, lies, abuse, theft, pride, lust, adultery, abortion, cheating, selfishness, self-righteousness, boasting, pollution, inequality, racism, envy, all of it. All this garbage is, is mounting up in every single room in the house. 
We're like hoarders. Tenants who have hoarded to ourselves a massive pile of corruption and sin. And at the heart of it all is a rejection of God. And God sees it all. How do you think he feels? Well, one thing's for sure, he can't turn a blind eye to things. That's the second thing we see in the parable, that the vineyard owner doesn't ignore or forget about the vineyard. He sends servants to collect the rent from the tenants. They beat up the first servant. If you were a landlord and you had tenants who refused to pay and beat up the agent that you sent over, you'd probably get them evicted or call the police or something. But not this vineyard owner. He was, he was patient. He sent another servant. Same result. So he sends another, which is quite, quite remarkable. You start to question the, the vineyard owner's sanity. And the immediate explanation here is that God sent prophets to warn Israel about their disobedience. He, he sent prophets to tell the religious leaders, you're not doing a good job of looking after God's vineyard. But the prophets were ignored. They were mistreated. They were beaten up and killed. And this happened over hundreds of years. Time and time again, Israel's leaders rejected the messengers. That's the immediate uh, explanation. But again, the, the application is broader. God sends servants. He still sends servants, messengers, into the world to call us away from our sin and back to repentance. That's happening in churches uh, on Sundays all over the world. If you're someone who's grown up in church, you've had the privilege, really, of, of hearing God's messengers week after week. Our responsibility is to not spurn that privilege by responding with apathy or unbelief or indifference. But the messengers God sends, they can also be more subtle than that. The Puritans, guys who lived a couple of hundred years ago, they used to talk about things that entered into our lives that uh, they called providential messengers. George Whitfield used to say that uh, God would put thorns on our bed to wake us up out of spiritual indifference. Things that happen that remind us, no matter how hard we try no matter how much we believe that we're in control, that we can do what we want to do and be who we want to be and everything will be sweet, it's just not true. We're not owners, we're tenants. And we're not as in control as we like to think. Maybe for you, those messengers have just been the consequences of bad choices. Reminders that if you, if you live a certain way, if you ignore God's rule for your life, that in many instances that ends badly. Or maybe those messengers have just been random things. I was talking to someone the other day who uh, got injured and they were saying it's the first time they'd ever kind of had the realisation that their physical ability and the things that they just take for granted day by day, were, were there given by God and could easily be taken away. If you live with illness or chronic pain or something, you know those kind of messengers. They can be a painful reminder 
that not everything in life is under your control. We can't own and control the direction of our kids as much as we like, or our careers, or our finances, or our plans even. This year, the whole world has had the illusion of control shattered by a microscopic virus. It all sends the message, you're a tenant, you're not in control. So the question for us is, what are the messengers that God is sending into your life? Are you listening to them? Or do you hate them? Are you ignoring them or beating them up? That's what the tenants in the parable did. Until finally the vineyard owner sends his son. And that's the last part, the third part of this parable that we'll see. The son gets killed. It's interesting that Jesus is telling this parable right after he's had a run-in with these religious leaders. It's the last week of Jesus' life. He's just cleared the temple with a whip. And the religious leaders are questioning Jesus' authority. And Jesus tells this parable right after it and he exposes their hearts. What was going on behind all that questioning and opposition? Well, in the parable, the tenants are so desperately wicked that they see the son coming and they sniff an opportunity. They say, let's kill the son and the vineyard will be ours. So they throw him out and they kill him. It's quite ironic that immediately after the religious leaders hear Jesus tell this parable that they make plans to go away and kill him, that would be a bit like me saying to you, you're really not a very nice person. In fact, you're so nasty that right after I finish this sentence, you're going to kill me. And you're getting so upset about me saying that that you actually come and kill me. But that's what the religious leaders did to Jesus because of their hard, unbelieving hearts. It's a shocking insight into the human heart. It's aimed at the religious leaders, but it applies widely. The Bible says that the the natural state of our human heart is hostility and enmity towards God. Lots of people wouldn't admit that. They say, yeah, maybe God exists, maybe he doesn't. But they wouldn't say that they're hostile toward God, that they hate God. But challenge people that they're not in control, challenge people that they actually owe God something, and they don't want to hear it. No one can tell me how to live my life. I'm in charge. Some of you would... um, no, Mark Fennell, a guy called Mark Fennell, he's a bit of a media personality. He's on SBS and ABC Radio sometimes. Uh, and he was brought up in churches. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he, uh, he was talking about his experience one day. Uh, and he said, I was brought up in a series of evangelical churches, but much to my mother's chagrin, I've had nothing to do with the church in years. Why? Because, well, sinning is great. What's going on? He's, he's not trying to make up an intellectual argument. He's being, he's being honest. He's saying, I don't want God to tell me how to live my life. I want to 
do what I want to do, be who I want to be. We're okay with God until he starts to make claims on our life and then we reject him because by nature we hate him. You hear people say things like, I don't hate God, I just don't believe in him. If God came down and and spoke to me face to face, then I'd believe in him. Well, God did come down and speak to people face to face in the person of Jesus. And the evidence of our hatred towards him is that the only time that he made himself physically vulnerable, when he became one of us, we opposed him and jumped on him and beat him up and tortured him and put him to death. What should God do? What would you do if your tenants trashed your house and didn't pay the rent? Well, this parable is a cautionary tale. The vineyard owner was, was remarkably patient. He put up with the tenants for so long, let them put or mistreat servants for so long, they put his son to death, and so he came and killed the tenants and gave the vineyard to others. In AD 70, the, the Roman armies came and destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple, killed hundreds of thousands of people. The tenants of God's vineyard were wiped out. But again, the, the application here is broader. Jesus explains it like this in verse 17. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Jesus was, was the stone that was rejected by the religious leaders. They were judged for that. But don't miss it. Jesus says, everyone who rejects him, will face the same judgment. Everyone who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. One day you will meet Jesus face to face and if you've spent your life rejecting him, you'll be judged for that. You'll be crushed. Judgment isn't a popular subject. We like to think of Jesus as full of love and mercy and compassion. And he was, we'll get to that. But sometimes love doesn't come with a soft hug. It comes with a stern word. We love our kids and so we tell them, don't go near that ledge, you'll fall. Don't go near that fire, you'll get burnt. And Jesus says to us, don't reject me, you'll get crushed. But more than that, the judgment of God on sin is actually a good and necessary reality. Imagine for a second a world with no final judgment. How wrong it would be for a situation where a man spends his whole life abusing and crushing his wife and kids, creating generations of havoc and trauma, 
and for him to die happily in his grave and never have to be accountable for that. Or a world where executives of greedy corporations that knowingly and deliberately exploit people and take advantage of them. Just yesterday I was reading an article about a, a pornographic website that plays host to the most horrific content you could imagine and the executives know about it and they don't do a thing to shut it down. Disgusting. They trade off, make billions of dollars off people being exploited and abused and having their lives ruined and they live on luxury yachts. Imagine a world where they don't face justice. Or what do you tell the families of schoolgirls who were kidnapped and raped by Boko Haram in Nigeria? Those people never face justice. What do you tell the families of those girls that they just got away scot-free? We cry out for justice over that sort of thing, and rightly so. Like the people who heard this parable, actually in, in Matthew's account of this parable, Jesus actually asks his listeners, what should the vineyard owner do to those tenants? And they say, bring those wretches to a wretched end. And we feel the same when we see the horrible things happening in the world around us. We want justice. And so to be able to say that there's a God who won't let sin go unchecked forever, who will one day judge, is a good thing. The judgment of God will be terrible and dreadful. We, we rightly tremble at the thought of ourselves or others being found outside of Jesus on the day that he comes back. But on the other hand, the judgment of God is good news because perfect justice will be done. Psalm 96 that we sang at the start of our service. It's a song of praise to God. Why? Because he's coming to judge the earth. But we don't only see God's judgment in this parable. In the face of a whole world of people that shake their fist at God, the people he made ignoring him, treating him, treating his ways with disdain and hatred and ridicule, we see great patience and mercy and love. There's a song called His Mercy Is More. It goes like this. What love could remember no wrongs we have done? Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore, our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. What patience would wait as we constantly roam? What father so tender is calling us home? He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. What happened when the son got rejected and killed? What happened on the cross? Well, when you look at the cross, you see God's judgment and his mercy in one. In God's wonderful 
paradoxical wisdom, the greatest act of human hatred toward God became the very way for us to be reconciled to him. God's son took the punishment that God's enemies deserved so that God's enemies could be called his friends. We could be called his friends, his children. It's by God's mercy that we're not consumed. That's the beauty and the wonder of the gospel. The stone the builders rejected became the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And really, we're only left with two choices when it comes to Jesus. Choice number one, reject him, reject the stone and be crushed. The other choice is to accept Jesus. Give up your hostility toward God. Give up the illusion of control. Stop trying to to build your life your way without God and build your life instead on the cornerstone. Believe in Jesus. Put your trust in him. Hand over control of your life to him. Even if you've been a Christian for a long time, you know that that kind of natural leftover hostility toward God, it doesn't all go away at once. Our hearts keep going hard, a bit like butter on a cold day, and we've got to keep sticking it in the microwave. We try to hang on to areas of our life where we we don't want God in control. You want to be the owner of that particular part of your life, your money, your, your time, your relationships, a certain habit that you indulge in. You want to hang on to those things. Got to keep coming back to God through Jesus again and again. Living at the foot of the cross and saying, Lord, please forgive me. Please help me to put to death the sin in my life that wages war against you and war against my own soul. Help me to keep handing over control of my life to you. Help me to build my life on the cornerstone, Jesus by loving him and listening to him and learning from him and following him and his ways. And why wouldn't we want to do that? Jesus is the son who was rejected for you, the son who was mocked and beaten up and killed for you, the saviour who loves you and walks beside you gently and tenderly, the Saviour who empathises with all your weaknesses and knows all your sin, but he'll never turn you away. He'll never kick you out of the vineyard. We're tenants who could have been evicted, but by God's grace through Jesus, we're children who have been adopted. Keep building your life on Jesus. Let's pray.